This is the Sport Lifestyle Podcast, where the trade of sport collides with fashion and innovation. Your hosts, Mike Gugat, Neil Schwartz, and John Peters, break down news, discuss trends, and interview industry influencers. The Sport Lifestyle Podcast is on now. <laughs> Wait, tell me about your brand. That's my brand. <laughs> Talking too much. <laughs> All right. This is episode 16 of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. Hey, Poobah, did you give Jeannie a Porsche 911 for her birthday? Yeah, it's about the size of a Matchbox car. Uh, Jeannie and I don't uh, do much for uh, birthday uh, birthday exchanging anymore. You don't treat her like J-Lo? No. I don't get her like a five-carat diamond ring. Uh, what do I look like, A-Rod to you? A little bit. <laughs> What's up, JP? Uh, hey, guys. Wait, so, Neil, you're saying you didn't uh, treat her right, take her out? Frankly, I wasn't even – we weren't even together on her birthday. Uh, I, we were both in New York. She was out on the island with the uh, grandkids, and uh, I was in the city uh, doing some business. We really didn't – we weren't even together on her birthday. We had a little birthday celebration the next day, but – Nope, we were not together there, boys. I, I didn't mean to make blazing generalizations about Boca Raton. I guess it's a little yeah. different than Celebrity Island there in Miami, where you know uh, uh, J Lo got a Porsche from uh, from from her man. Yeah, well, I'll you know, life here in Boca isn't quite what it is uh, on Star Island down in uh, oh, it's down in Star Miami. Island. Isn't that what you meant, Mike? Star Island. I think. That, that is what I meant. But hey, guys, on this podcast, uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, more TV, but fewer fans. Gen Z wants more kicks and they want them now. Jordan has a new jump man. A Canadian has cornered the sneaker, the rare sneaker market. Lulu's got a superstore and VF is off the wall with its latest earnings. JP, tell the listeners about our guest. Yeah, guys. So we're going to uh, be speaking with uh, Tara uh, Mollard uh, later today. She uh, has spent a lot of her career working around consumer brands. Uh, most recently, she was the head of business um, at Camelback Products, where I think she, I think it is, she launched the first uh, e-commerce department for them. She's also worked for Specialized, uh, Strava, Old Navy, Coca-Cola. So, uh, and she also just joined the board of directors, um, advisory board, excuse me, for a company, a startup called Asensei, who came through our startup challenge. So, um, it's going to be great to unpack some some issues with her that we frequently talk about. Well, we always benefit by having a female voice on this podcast. So let's get started. Uh, so JP, tell us uh, what's what's going on. Uh, fewer, f- more TV and fewer fans. Yeah, guys. So the the story came up um, last week. I think there. I think it was the. Uh, I'm going to get this wrong. Cincinnati football coach or some some football coach, not in the SEC, uh, obviously, um, complaining about you know tailgating and kids at the game and the attendance was down and he blamed it on technology. Um, his biggest complaint was there are no more fans. And when there are fans in the stadium, they're just looking at their phones. And so, uh, and, and I think Axios kind of had a story about his comments as well. Um, you know, I think this has been coming for a long time. I think the, if you build it, they will come concept for, for stadiums, um, at least legacy style stadiums has kind of run its course. And now you're seeing, you know, stadiums like Texas A&M or the Dallas Cowboys stadium, uh, with more integrations with technology. I think this is just a, uh, um, a, 
one, we have short attention spans, but two, I think this is, um, you know, kind of on the stadiums and colleges and, and, and arenas. I mean, if you're, if you want to create a great fan experience, you now have to incorporate technology. And, and so I don't know if you guys had a chance well, to read the article. A couple but what, what of uh, podcasts ago, we had interviewed uh, Bob Hart, um, senior vice president at uh, AECOM Tishman, and he's basically responsible for their stadium, uh, their stadium construction group. And, and John, what you're saying, I, I mean, really fits in and supports what he was saying is that, you know, for all the stadiums they're now building as well as the ones they are renovating, you know, that they are putting in, you know, a much higher capacity uh, broadband equipment. Um, you know, it's almost like, you know, you said, if you build it, you know, they will come. It's almost like if you can't beat them, join them. And uh, that's kind of the philosophy um, that, you know, even these stadium designers and architects and engineers are incorporating into these uh, new designs. So I think what you're saying is right. You know, you're not going to change, you know, you're not going to change, you know, habits and behaviors. And so you might as well, you know, get on board. I no longer have the attention span for this story. So let's move on to Gen Z wanting more shoes and wanting them more regularly. Yeah, guys, you know, over the, the course of the podcast, we've talked about this a lot. And in fact, coming up uh, in, a, in a future episode, we're going to be talking to Josh Luber again, the CEO and founder of StockX. But a story caught my eye um, t- this week. I caught it on Bloomberg, but I also caught it at Footwear News that we're seeing a number of the major manufacturers like Nike, Adidas, Puma are accelerating their sneaker release calendar. And, and much of this is being kind of motivated by the Gen Z consumer. Apparently, the Gen Z or younger consumers are demanding that you know they want their sneaker releases faster. They want more releases, um, and and you know, and the manufacturers are really kind of stepping up. You know, just as a quick example, um, you know, we've talked extensively over the course of the podcast about um, the Yeezy line, um, Kanye West's you know production or or shoes for Adidas. You know, as an example, back in 2015, when, you know, it kind of just got off to a a start, they did um, six shoes in 15. They did 12 in 2018. And this year, they have already released 19 different versions of the Yeezy. So they are, Adidas is really stepping up to the plate. You know, and I think, you know, the, the takeaway here is that they're responding to this newer, younger Gen Z consumer. What do you guys think? I mean, do you think that this is, uh, you know, going to be an ongoing trend or is it just, uh, you know, another generation talking to uh, how they want to consume, you know, their favorite products? JP, how many of those Yeezys you got? (laughs) I have approximately zero. Uh, The day I spent $1,000 on shoes is the day uh, I I don't know. I probably need to get 10 jobs to cover that. But, uh, Neil, you know, I think this is, um, indicative of kind of expectations. And, you know, I just read another article the other day, uh, fast growing startup backed by Causeway squad locker is now, you know, upping the game for team uniform deliveries. And they're claiming that they're able to do them. in I think it's three to five days now. So it's something ridiculous. And so, you know, once somebody breaks the uh, logistical supply chain expectation like Amazon did, and you have impatience that are myself and other Gen Zers, um, I think that you're only going to see more of this. And to that point, um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but the Warriors uh, signed a 10-year deal with Fanatics to turn over their entire store to Fanatics. So it's uh, it's only going to keep happening. Major trend to, to keep watching. 
So, uh, so I want to stay with you, JP, two part question, and then we'll kick it to Neil. But, uh, uh, Zion is, is going to Jordan, you know, first question, was that a surprise? Second question, is it going to be nine figures? Yeah. Uh, well, first question. Um, I, I think it was a surprise to see him in a, in a Jordan uh, contract as opposed to, I thought he'd be a Nike guy. I always thought, you know, Nike always tends to get the, uh, the right guys, but um, uh, what was the second wait, question? Wait, you're, you're still not in love. You're, you're still not in love with Chris Paul. Isn't he a Jordan guy? Is he a Jordan guy? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, oh, yeah. apparently Russ is too. Second question is, do you think it'll be nine figures? Oh, they said it was the mo- the richest in contract history for rookie. Or yeah, I think that's what I read. Um, it probably will be when it's all said and done. I, I'm sure there's some some kickers in there. Neil, what do you think? You know, what's interesting is that there really hasn't been anyone that's been able to kind of you know create the kind of buzz, um, you know around the Jordan Jumpman brand that, of course, Michael Jordan has created. I mean, you know, they they brought Mello um, to the Jumpman brand, and it really just never, um, you know, really never materialized. Whereas LeBron, who went on to the Nike, you know, the mothership, um, you know, really did do very well. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, how Zion um, is able to fit into the Jordan Jumpman, you know, their business model. Um, you know, in some ways I, I think, you know, Zion might've been better off at Nike and they let, you know, leave, uh, you know, let Jordan sit on its own Island. Cause clearly it's doing, uh, continues to do gangbuster sales. All right. So let's talk about this, uh, Canadian that, uh, cornered the uh, rare sneaker market by spending over a million dollars on shoes, including one Nike ghost that he paid $437,000 for. Was this a part of the uh, big auction that they did at Sotheby's? Um, last week or two weeks ago? Yes. Yeah, I, I really yes. don't have a lot of information. I did see that Sotheby's for the first time was doing a rare sneaker auction, and I did see a pair look like of Jordan 1s that were going for about 160000 Um, You know, one of my smart aleck friends, of course, texted me and said, hey, is that a shoe? Are you going to be uh, putting in your bid on that shoe? And I'm like, yeah, right. Well, I just – I don't know if it was Bill Ackman or whoever on CNBC said uh, millennials can't afford homes for, because of avocado toast. I think millennials and Gen Zers are apparently spending all their mortgage money and student loan money on uh, shoes. This is crazy. $160,000 for a pair of shoes. So what I thought was really cool is the last pair that sold – You know, I guess the you know last pair to sell for a significant amount of money like this was a pair of Converse that were signed by Michael Jordan after the 1984 Olympics and somebody paid 190,000 for those. You know, coincidentally, coincidentally, sneaker culture got its start in 1984 when uh, Nike released the first pair of Air Jordans. Oh, all right. Oh man, Neil, we don't even have time to debate this. I, do you, you, have you not read sneaker wars? I, I think that, Somebody would beg to differ with that opinion, but we got to we got to move on. So JP, uh, we're talking tights and uh, smoothies and uh, Barry's boot camp all under one house. What's going on? Yeah, guys. So quote unquote future retail is is what I'm calling it. Lululemon's opened their I think twenty thousand plus square foot store in Chicago, and I would encourage you all to who's listening to go by. I'm definitely going to do it. But what's interesting about this? I think that's like four floors or five floors. Um, uh, of, of stuff and everything, like you said, from smoothies to salads to impossible burgers, of course they have it, uh, and even a workout studio, um, and meditation spaces. And so 
I think what's most fascinating about this is, uh, unlike the Nike store that Neil and I and, and David Kinnise toured when we were up there, um, unlike that store, there's not as much of a focus on selling product as it is creating experiences in, ter- in terms of uh, what their customers are doing, what they want. A- again, you know, they're going to be given classes like hip hop yoga classes, which I could would pay a million. I would pay one hundred sixty thousand dollars to see Neil do. Um, and then, you know, they have other, other things to engage. Wait, wait, 160 to my favorite charity. I'm up for that. I I would, I would pay that before I would pay for a pair of sneakers to see you do some hip hop yoga. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that check cashes. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) Neil, you know, they, they say, what's the crazy thing about this? It is more expensive at some point for a brand to acquire a customer online than it is to open a store. So I do think you'll see more stores. Um, is this the future of retail? Well, I do think this, you know, the experience thing is something that we've talked about, um, you know, over and over again. And John, I know your generation, millennials in particular, and I think also the Gen Zs, you know, coming behind them are into the experience thing. I do question, though, whether um, all of these uh, ideas that I think Lululemon is packing into this one store will, in fact, fly long term. Uh, You know, the idea of hamburgers and yoga don't necessarily, uh, you know, Join together, but you know what? I do, I do commend and I do applaud Lululemon for not being afraid to try things, Neil. Um, because I think what they want to do is they want to roll out. Hey, so apparently, apparently, the Pooh Bow's got burgers on his mind. Were, were there burgers in the article? Well, there was. <laughs> Neil, I got, I got to correct you. So this is hilarious because my home state and I think Alabama, Alabama, Mississippi, and Arkansas have now banned. Uh, companies and restaurants from using, um, you know, the term uh, burger when you're referring to an impossible burger or a fake meat burger. You can't say burger or, yeah, it's the craziest thing right in the South. So I got to correct you. It is an impossible burger. That's fine. It is the the fake meat. You're right. Meatless burger. People with the man buns and, and the hipsters are eating these days. Well, this this next one, there's there's clearly is beef, but uh, VF uh, again has it, succeeded Wall Street's expectations, and I know Neil, you've been dying to talk about Vans. So, uh, what what did you see there? It's a phenomenon in the brand that just keeps on giving for, uh, you know, for for uh, VF. Um, you know, obviously when they split off uh, Contour, you know, from the outdoor and the um, action sports brands, it, it has really, uh, you know, worked to their favor. So, uh, you know, it seems, uh, you know, the Gen Z younger consumer, it seems like we've been very Gen Z intensive today, um, you know, has really adopted Vans as one of their go-to brands and, uh, you know, good for them, good for them to be able to read the tea leaves, good for them to be able to understand their core consumer, good for them to be able to take advantage of the opportunity. Good for them. Uh, I'm just going to remind our listeners and probably more so Neil that, you did say the uh, the '90s trend was going to die pretty soon. Just just keep keep an eye on them. Well, I think I was more headed into the dad shoe thing than I was, uh, you know, about Vans in this case. But I could be eating my words on that one too, uh, JP. Not eating any burgers. <laughs> Not any fake ones. <laughs> so since Neil well, hasn't done the the bumper, can we get to the guest? Let's do it. Set it up, JP. All right, guys, we are uh, getting ready to speak with uh, Tara Mahler, who is an advisor and former executive in both the sport and outdoor industry. So stay tuned.
Welcome back to the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. Uh, today we have Tara Moeller with us, who is uh, a former executive in the fitness and outdoor space, having worked for uh, almost every major consumer brand you've ever heard of. And she's also an advisory uh, board member with uh, a few companies. So Tara, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, Tara, I think just to give the audience some flavor and start out, uh, would you mind just kind of telling us, you know, a little bit about your track record and where, you know, some com- some of the companies you've worked with? Sure. Um, I always like to use the Wayback Machine. I don't know, uh, uh, anytime you, anytime someone's saying, hey, tell me about, tell me about it and, and walk back. I think of the um, Goonies show where, slot, you know, uh, Chunk is putting his hand in the, if you guys don't know Goonies, I'm going to have to hang up right now. <laughs> one of my favorite <laughs> movies and so he's like okay dad dad of sneakers is the whole reason i got into this industry so so keep thank going you. <laughs> thank you okay so uh so i guess um right out of undergrad uh rock chalk dayhawk uh i got a role um at uh stanford athletic department which is truly the best job you could ever get right out of um undergrad and i worked with the uh, um, football and basketball teams um with and sort of started my career in marketing. Um, I was off to grad school. Um, right after grad school, I was recruited to specialized bicycles, as um, you guys are probably all familiar with that. And really, I was recruited to build an event program. Uh, they had a couple of events that they ran pretty loosey-goosey, and they wanted somebody to come in and really put together structure and bookends to either side. So I ultimately started at Specialized as sort of a team of one. Um, it, it, it really, um, it, you know, I don't know if you guys know Mike Seniord, but he, he's kind of a, um, mad scientist, if you will. But I'll tell you what, if, if you come to, to him with sort of a, a thought process and, and sort of a hypothesis of success, uh, more often than not, he'll give you the green light. So I did that time and time again. So sort of in the six years, I went from a team of one to a team of 14 and managed not only events, but built an advocacy program and, um, and an athlete program and really focused on the retailer and ultimately was able to be part of, part of specialized when we built the, grew the business from uh, about 250 million to 500 million. Um, so I went on from there to work on a few other really great brands, both inside and outside the industry, um, Chrome Industries. Um, I'm a lover of home design, so I got a really cool um, um, position at House, um, but also Old Navy. I sat at CMO for Faraday Bicycles, um, and ultimately landed a role uh, most recently at Camelback. I came on board um, first to help with running a few programs, and then I was pulled into a senior director of marketing role, and then quickly got pulled um, pulled up to run the business for about a year during during a really crazy time for the brand. And and then here I am. And now you are uh, on this podcast. So you yes, clearly right. moved up in the world. But Tara, yeah. I, I, I didn't realize you were with Hal's. I, I would love to talk about that, but I, I don't know that my co-host would let me. That's super fascinating. So I'm going to call you on that one later. Sure, but sure. Uh, your time at Camelback um, kind of related to commerce and what you did there with e-commerce. Can you just talk a little bit about you know, back then what you know you guys built and then kind of how it's different today and how consumers are getting their products? Yeah, Camelback is an interesting, um, an interesting beast because they do um, sort of bridge this outdoor industry, if you will, but also really sort of CPG, right? So their distribution 
uh, is really, really broad. So anything from to target to bye-bye baby to um, sort of the feet feet and the REI. So it's just sort of this really broad um, distribution. Um, and when I came on board, and even ultimately before I came on board, um, I realized that they didn't own their e-commerce. They didn't own their direct-to-consumer, um, which was crazy because that's what you need to be doing to learn who they are. Also, not only that, but let's talk business, right? That's where you're getting your most margin hit. So so the first thing we did, which was um, move the entire platform over to a, to a Camelback-owned platform so we could really build the e-commerce business from virtually sub a million dollars, if you can imagine that, um, to rapidly seeing this really great uh, hockey stick growth in, into direct-to-consumer at, at, um, at Camelback. But, uh, you know, we had a lot of other... Um, amazing opportunities for improvement when, when I got there as well. So it was a really fun, um, it's a fun place to, to be. Hey, Tara, this is uh, the grand poobah, otherwise known as Neil. I'm, you know, for those of you that uh, have not listened to the podcast previously, we like to talk with our guests a little bit before they come on one to get a little bit of background, but also to learn a little bit about them. And Tara, you know, we learned that you also have four children. So my question to you is, um, do you walk around? Do you have like a super per, superwoman uh, shirt on all day? Because how do you manage to, you know, manage four children? I guess what under the age of ten, eleven, and you know, a lot of these assignments that you work with uh, right now. Uh, yeah, I like to clone myself. So <laughs> no, um, I'll, uh, really, I have a deep love for Gantt charts and Post-it notes. And I think that is <laughs> one of my superpowers, but no, I have a great, I have a great partner in crime. And I think that's important. And, um, you have to know when it's time to lean in to a project and sort of ultimately kind of put your family on the back burner and then know when to sort of lean into your sort of family obligations. And, and unfortunately sometimes your brand gets, gets put in the back back burner, but I always feel like my life is this pendulum swinging back and forth where it's, you know, work-life balance is, is a constant move through space. And this one beautiful moment in the bottom of the pendulum swing is when you have this perfect moment of work-life balance. So, uh, you have to recognize that and hold on to it with like white knuckles before, before it sends its way in other directions. So, so Tara, in my list of notes prior to this interview was to see if I could get you to say Rock Chalk Jayhawk because I had three cousins, all of whom went there. So you, you check that off the list. I, I, my dream was to play basketball at Stanford, but I didn't apply myself academically, nor was I quick enough or athletic enough. So we, we covered, you know, that we share that in common. Um, but I'm just curious, since you've, you've held these leadership positions and then you work on, you're, you're on uh, several boards working, you know, with brands, how, how do you view leadership? Um, you know, leadership is kind of doing the hard things when it's the right time. And I think that's the, the really important thing to, to think about when people step up, step up to the plate, whether they're asked to, and so they take that opportunity or, or when they ask to, to become a leader, I think it's making sure you identify the people that need to surround you. Um, and, and really, leadership for me is really hiring really smart people and moving out of the way and, and moving the obstacles for them and, and the friction for them so that they can get 
their job done and, and do, do what, what ultimately will make, will make you look really good in the end. So that's, it's really hard for a leader to let, I think the team under them, um, step up and, and really take a lot of the credit, but that's, that's what's needed to, to really build a really strong foundation of, of the team and, and those around you. Hey, Tara, you set up a perfect segue for me. This is John again. Um, I've got to ask, and and I think our listeners would love to to learn more about kind of, you know, female executives in our industry. And to your point about leadership, um, understanding that, uh, you know, different opinions at the table matter. Uh, Any, any experiences or stories you you could share from your time as, as a female executive kind of rising through the ranks? Yeah. How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, man, it, it's, it's, um, interesting. They, I didn't realize this when I first got into the bike industry that they actually call it a low birth rate industry. And I thought, gosh, I don't understand what that is. And, and what, what does that mean? Of course, I wasn't even married when I uh, started at, at Specialized, but, um, in the six years I was there, I, I got married and had my first two kids. And, um, um, really what it ultimately meant is once women executives or leaders start having, have, have children, especially young leaders that are sort of on this sort of director level climb. Um, they leave the industry because it is, it is a really grueling, um, um, chug. It's a lot of travel. Um, but ultimately it's in the, in sort of the executive room. And we're, even when we were choosing bike colors at that time with 120 some odd folks, there were three women. Wow. And, and when we would break to start choosing women's colors, they would, the room would empty and they would go on a bike ride and, and sort of ultimately the expectation was like, oh, you guys will pick the colors and we, we trust you with the colors. And it just is such a, um, you know, that was the first sort of blow, I think. Actually, when I say blow, I should say it was a first real eye opening of expectation of saying, oh, Oh, I get, I see what we're doing here. And so then for me, if, as, as you guys get to know me, um, you'll know that either I sort of lean in to adversity or I just sort of say, you know what, this isn't for me. It's, it's too much of a fight and I'll, and I'll go to some, someplace else. And and I really lean into the adversity there and, and I, I, how specialized was, and I'm, and I'm sort of picking on specialized at this point because I do think where they were six or wherever, whenever I left, I left in 2011, I believe end of 2011, far, far different company. I think because of a lot of the experiences I had with them than they are today. I mean, they didn't have a nursing room. They didn't have an onboarding or offboarding for anyone who left for maternity leave. Um, nothing even existed there because I don't believe they really had the experience of people, women in director roles coming back and, and sort of demanding, Hey, this is, this is what, if you want a diverse leadership team, this is the type of thing that, that we require. It's an expectation that, that needs to be, um, that needs to be delivered on. My daughter actually is a uh, high level executive at a very male dominated industry. And we've had, um, you know, Ann Rodriguez, who used to be, uh, the chief operating officer at, um, the WNBA on it. And she actually talked a lot about, you know, I think the same things that, you know, she was, they were also in male dominated situations and, you know, making sure that you got heard, making sure that you got recognized, making sure that, 
you know, your opinion matters. I mean, did you, you know, did you have to make a conscious effort on that or just let it happen more on an organic level? I think looking back, I, I, probably failed myself in terms of being a bit more vocal and, and representing sort of my demographic a little bit more because you do have this sort of fear of standing out, making yourself a little bit vulnerable of standing up for something that, that, that maybe the, the mass might not think um, it's the right thing to stand up for. And so now you've sort of put yourself out there. So as, as I say, going through all these different experiences of being called Blondie in a boardroom and, and being called Honey and Sweetie, it's, it's really, really crazy. But um, there's moments that you say, hey, listen, fine, I'm going to put a pin in this and we'll talk about this offline. And then you carry on. And there's some points that you say, you know what, guys, let's, let's address this together. And I just want to take this, have an education moment for you guys. And hey, this is not, this is not how, how it works, but you can't get to that moment. And, and I'm sure your, your, your daughter thinks this too. You can't get to, get to that moment unless you have a senior train team that trusts you and that you feel safe and trusted as well. Otherwise that education moment doesn't happen. Tara, you serve on uh, several boards and, and I think that the, that experience then opens your eyes and, 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 almost puts you into a mentorship role. Can you talk about some of the organizations you're working with? Uh, yeah, it's, I, I, you, when I was uh, sitting at, at a full-time executive role, even at Camelback and before, uh, I always had been asked to be on boards. And this is, this is an interesting challenge about getting more females on these executive boards is not only do we have these really big roles outside of the home, but we always have these really big roles inside of the home. And, and so just uh, committing to one other thing outside of both of those realms is pretty difficult. So when I left Camelback, the first thing I wanted to do is say, hey, listen, all those board opportunities that came up, I, I really was curious about what that meant and and how I could add value to these um, newer newer brands. I like I like younger brands, to be honest with you, because it is something that you can go in and have a conversation at 9 a.m. and then have sort of movement on whatever issue uh, you had it by 1 p.m. So um, so one of the boards that I really love sitting on is a sensei. It's, it's all about connected coaching. And I think absolutely as an athlete, um, from basically the womb, I love the idea of, of sort of working out by yourself and, and getting those things that you need, but also being able to do it for longer with a little bit of coaching and, and, um, it's, it's actually a phenomenal founder and phenomenal, um, product. Um, but I find it still a little um, crazy. So, so, um, so Stephen um, Webster, the the founder there, he made a really, um, a really um, interesting point to to bring a female on, and it took, and he was able to land the the majority of the board straight away. But it took him a longer time to find the right female to contribute to the board, and. And, um, I came on sort of in November there and, and it is, it is really interesting to see these guys come in and being on the other side, because of course we all reported into a board before and, and definitely I sort of like the, the bluff, you know, um, what's it called? Um, the bluff acronym bottom line up front is that, yeah. So I like that, like military, like, give me, give me everything I need to know up front so that there's no surprises at the end. And so I've been able to sort of um, work that within a couple of the boards here and been able to really guide them and say, Hey, listen, this, this doesn't seem like the right swim lane we should be in. And, and have you thought about this swim lane or have you thought about 
sort of positioning it here and, and maybe understanding what that looks like at the consumer level. That's awesome. Tara, uh, so really appreciate this conversation and, and we'll get you out of here on, on one uh, pop quiz question from uh, one of our very loyal listeners. And the question is, uh, who is your favorite current CEO who loves rowing? <laughs> he texted me last night saying you're going to, I was like, I don't know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to think about that. Is this guy Scottish or British? <laughs> I, mean, I have to, yeah. So, you know, Steven, he's, he's, I'm heading into his board meeting uh, right after this as well. So he's, he's, I, I love finding great founders um, to sit alongside and, and, and kind of be his the awesome. co-pilot or maybe a backseat driver, I should say, in, in their journey. Being a, I, I I was so convinced that John's mother had asked the question, and she's had good questions up to date. But uh, I'm glad we have more listeners. She will definitely have some questions for this. But I hope I hope we made uh, this board meeting upcoming for you easier or maybe harder. Um, and uh, Tara, thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll, we'll have to bring you back for sure. Well, I would love to, and thanks for having me, you guys. Thank you. to thank our guest tara moeller our sound engineer tyrone Littman. this podcast would not be possible if not for our partnership with the washington dc office of cable tv film music and entertainment our mayor muriel bowser our friends at 202 creates subscribe to this podcast on itunes stitcher google play spotify wherever podcasts are found but if you are listening to us on itunes please be sure to rate us until next time play hard or at least look good doing it